What am I going to say as far as like what's the intro now? What's the um, welcome back to the Terrible usual? Podcast? I think so. Yeah, it seems to be working well. Da 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 it's the terribly vexed podcast hello everybody welcome back welcome back everybody josh you let me ask you how are you i'm all right man how are you okay what are we talking about today well something you narrowly escaped death recently yeah yeah that's interesting i think that happened since uh the last episode i was in a uh a near head-on collision with a drunk piece of shit that almost took me out. He was in his, uh, it was like a full-size Chevy pickup truck. Came barreling towards me at probably 60, 65 miles an hour. Two-lane road? Two-lane road. There That's was scary. some vehicles behind him, like a box truck behind him. Everybody kind of saw what was happening. He stops in the oncoming lane as I veer off into it, just as this guy comes towards me and passes me. Did he just keep going? He just kept going right yeah. on into the woods. Yeah. I heard him. I had my passenger side window up, and uh, he like uh, rolled several times into the woods. And then I pulled over into a little side road. Car was behind me, and I, you know, the hands shaking a little bit there. Mm-hmm. Get out, mm-hmm. make my way up to the road because we're thinking, oh, we got to get this guy out because you don't know initially what the problem is. Could have been a medical thing. Could have been a mechanical. Something went wrong with the vehicle, the yeah. truck. You know, who knows. But we got up there, and I quickly see all the beer cans all over the, yeah. all over the, uh, the in the ditch. That'll and do in it. The grass, right? Yeah. Was it him? Just like trying to chuck him out the window? Like he's weakly, <laughs> just trying to get the evidence gone. I, I'm not exactly sure. His truck, his truck, like the cab was full of garbage. Yeah. And then the truck bed was full of garbage bags too. So once I saw all those, initially we got up to the road. A girl had stopped in her car, and she was asking me what the road was. And I hadn't quite, my brain hadn't rebooted yet. Yeah. So she was asking me, and I couldn't tell her what the name of the road was, even though I knew it. I was just staring at her. and <laughs> She didn't realize what was going on. That I was the one that almost yeah. got taken out in this little uh, scenario. I was in front of everybody else. And um, so I'm just staring at her, and she's asking me like three or four times. And then I just walk over because they're like, oh, we got to get this guy out of his truck. And was he conscious? Yes. Okay. We're getting near the uh, the truck as it's you know flipped over into the brush and the trees and stuff like that, and we can hear him in there like, Ugh, uh, yeah. And so there's some tree branches and stuff like that. At this point, though, that I've seen all the beer cans all over the place, I'm like, fuck this guy. I don't even care anymore. He can yeah. burn alive. There's yeah. fumes. There's gas, and I don't give a shit now. But because people are watching, you got to do the right thing. Right. I help get some Makes branches off. Good. Yeah, I guess, you know. And not to mention, how attractive was that gal asking about the road? On a scale of 1 to 10? Sure. I don't know, maybe, what, 7, 8? That's enough to look like a hero I don't really remember, honestly. So (laughs) it wasn't that. You didn't have any of those No, 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 no. I wasn't, like I said, the brain hadn't rebooted at this point yet. I had no... I had no recollection of what was happening. I was just kind of going through the motions. But I did help him get some of the branches off the tree, the back, because they pulled the guy out the back window... And he's all kind of cut up from the glass and stuff like that. But he's completely fine. I took a picture, the picture that I sent yeah. you. And he's sitting on the side with a big smile on his face. He's having a great time. Yeah, I bet. <laughs> Went for a little ride. <laughs> Went for a little ride. Wow. Yeah. And so uh, I, I kind of just walked over to the side once they pulled him out. 
and the people were standing there talking people are now out of their vehicles or whatever and he's like uh this one dude's talking to another guy and he's like yeah this guy right here talking about me yeah he was the one that was in front he almost took him out you know and uh and i was like yeah that was me and i kind of leaned over and knelt a little bit and (laughs) just like taking a breath like yeah okay you made it i made it i I live to tell the tale but that's uh, crazy you said it was on a two-lane road yeah a two-lane road at any point was there a a presence in the car that told you to turn real quick or anything (laughs) like that like a mysterious felt presence felt presence uh, a third man maybe right. of, of some sort God. which is going to be the uh that's a perfect beautiful segue brilliant wasn't it because you know the whole um the whole idea of this episode is talking about the third man syndrome of the third man factor yeah you did really good thank you on that one thank you and to answer that question no okay it wasn't a dire enough situation or maybe just too fast it was too fast i think yeah. he didn't have time to get there he didn't have time to show up and tell me to. What it was, though, as the vehicle, as I'm driving along and the vehicle comes into my lane and is barreling directly towards me, I had about a second, because, you know, you driving, people constantly veer off into your lane mm-hmm. and you have to like, you know, like, okay, is this the real one? Like yeah, the is one this I, a, yeah. Is this the one that's going to get me? Like the one I experienced. But we've all experienced the ones where people come over to your lane and then you're just like, get back over, get back over, and they quickly get back over in their lane. So... There was a, a second of that. I was kind of worried about my reaction time after the fact because I was like, did it take me too long to like realize that I'm about to die right now? Yeah. And I guess not because at first I was like, okay, this guy's completely in my lane. He's barreling towards me. And then I was like, it's time to take action. So that's yeah. when I veered over into the left lane. And then about that time, he just naturally, because he was already passed out from being a drunk asshole, already sort of began to veer off the road as we passed. So I'm assuming had I been maybe an inch or excuse me, like a second or two further down the road, we would have probably collided in some way. Mm -hmm. Like the front of our bumpers, probably to some clip, something would have happened. Right. Yeah. So I was trying to think back like the series of events that led me to not be a a second further down the road. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) That will kind of drive you mad a little bit, but, uh, yeah. And it is a tricky thing when a car comes in the lane and you're like, it's happened to me so many times. It's happened to me so many times. If you were to correct, go, you know, you swerve left and get in their lane. So they, but then they get the last second, are they going to go right? And then you're just going to hit. Yeah. You don't know what's going on. You almost have to wait a second to see which way this thing's about to play out to see kind of which way they're going. Because, uh, the, you know, the time that I go into work, it's prime drunk time on the roads. And that's ha- like I said, that's happened to me several times where people have veered into my lane. Of course, I'm at two in the morning. I'm seeing headlights, right? Yeah. But one morning I go in, somebody comes around the corner. They're completely in my lane and they come around a curve and they veered off at the last second. I didn't take any action. I didn't have time to. So it's dark. I just see headlights come around the corner. They slam into the embankment. Okay. And I see this like in my mirror, like headlights, uh, you know, it was dry, I guess. It was like the fall, so it hadn't rained in a while. And it just blew up a a plume of smoke. And I could see this. I just kept going. (laughs) I never turned around. I said, fuck them. Yeah, who knows what what they're doing right now? At 2.30, oh, so when I come back by there later in the day, there's plastic parts of the car, whatever it was, all over the place. So, And there's fluid, you know. Blood stains on the ground (laughs) and everything. They smashed their car up, so, but uh, anyway. I've always thought... You know, the, the two-lane country road system, 
if we were to do it over again, we we would have a little median separate those little because that's just that's dangerous. People on their phones in this day and age. Got a box two lane trucks road. everywhere, deliveries and like you know big you know. Yeah, or there's no room. Some guy who just wants to end it all and fuck it, I'm taking somebody with me. I've been waiting for that one. That's the one I'm like. It's incredible that doesn't happen more often. With my luck, I feel like, you know, yeah. I'm going to be the one that encounters that guy. Yeah. I was wondering that day after the fact, like, was that the guy? Was he just like, did he survive and then not want to admit that he was trying to take somebody out with him that day? Yeah. Maybe. <laughs> you never know. But uh, so anyway, yeah, that's uh, that was a scary experience. Yeah. I, yeah. Nothing never, flashed before my eyes. No third man. Um, I think the third man factor, you have to have sort of a, a longer, sort of prolonged experience yeah. to get that. Well, you know, they've had similar things like in wrecks like that. I mean, maybe this happened to you too. Jesus took the wheel. It's possible. Yeah, you never know. Took it right out of because my hands. Because he seems to do that a lot for people. But then not we for We may it. hear about one of those stories today. That's true. That's true. May or may not be the J-Man, depending on your beliefs, of course. Yeah. I mean, it's it's all about your belief system. Yeah, we'll get into that later, but, you know, some people see it as a uh, higher power. Yeah. But you don't. You, you thought it was your quick decision-making, critical thinking. I don't know. <laughs> it happened pretty quick. Yeah. Hard to say what... Uh, what brought me through. Yeah. But I'm here, everybody. And thank God. I don't know what I don't know who I would get to replace you. What was this about? Well, there wouldn't be anybody, I guess. You would just have to shut the whole show down. That's it. You're no, done. No, no, no. I'd get somebody in here. Really? Yeah. Well. Maybe, yeah. Uh, it's good to know. Uh, I got nothing clever. I was trying to think of somebody named Brand. I, I got nothing. So forget I even brought that up. Okay. Yep. What else did you want to discuss? What else did you want to discuss? I got nothing for you know this dirty thirty, of any importance, anyways. But absolutely nothing. I mean, I started playing Starfield. That's it's a cool video game. You know, I'm almost forty. It's about time I start getting into video games. I think. <laughs> so I've been hearing all this the stuff. Congratulations! About yeah, thank you. It's a huge time waster. I want you to. And part of me loves that. We have a podcast. We have to research. We have I to know. read. I know. I, I'm well aware, but at the same time, I do like to just not live my own life. And that's you know you got to take a take a break and enjoy take a little breather, right? Yeah, and you know I only play it for like an hour or so a night. But I will say this is a pretty fun game by the same people, the same company that made Skyrim, which I hated, hate everything about it because I think it's like a medieval type setting. This one, Starfield, obviously, you're in space, zipping around. Fascinating. Now that, to me, I just love it. That's my dream. If I could, you know, like EVE Online, that's another game I oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. enjoyed. You'll just, have to uh, show me this here later. It's pretty fun. We, yeah. Which, by the way, we're recording this on September the 11th. I don't know if that date has any sort of significance, but does it? Do you recall anything um, of any particular... Global significance happening on September 11th. I do believe so. Yeah. 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 I got okay. out of. Yeah. Okay. But we're not going to be talking about, you know. So say I watched a lot of TV in school that day. Me too. Yeah. There was no no lessons being learned except that the world can be really shitty. I wasn't in school, by the way. I was in Florida. 
Wow, I didn't know that. Yep, I was in Florida working with my cousin. In, uh, what's that, Kissimmee, St. Cloud, Orlando area? Yeah. Yeah, that's where I was at. Wow. Did you guys stop working? Yes. Really? Right. <laughs> I was just making a joke, but... Well, it was kind of incredible. a kind of a big deal, you know. Yeah, yeah, it was. Posted uh, a video that James Corbett did years ago on our Instagram, uh, Terrible Effects Podcast on Instagram. Mm-hmm. Always post some fun stuff over there. I guess it's a reel, but it's uh, it's just a funny little video that he did. It's under five minutes, so it don't take too long to watch it. But he's just kind of you know recapping the whole events of nine eleven. How ridiculous this. This story was that they uh, they fed to us and that we're supposed to have believed this nonsense. Because in in the decades that have that have passed since then, you know, I think we can see more clearly now what what that was all about. We should do an episode on that. Maybe talk to an expert, perhaps. How long? How many parts do you think you could do on a nine eleven episode? Oh, uh, you could go a lot. You could do a lot. Would the nine eleven episode? series if you will be longer than the jfk assassination series oh my god both of them man the whole world of just <laughs> that you could have a podcast a separate podcast for each one yeah it's yeah. too much for yeah it's too much yeah, there's you, still a few of the old school jfk researchers still out there they're way up in age now but gary shaw's one of them i don't know he stopped he stopped talking to uh people doing maybe because of age i don't know but he was one of the early researchers it's funny how much of this stuff actually came out very soon after a lot of these things happened, they were pr- there was a lot of people that were you know had a pretty good bead on things after nine eleven happened back in two thousand one. I mean, the idea that somebody just you know sets up this little operation and that it completely goes unnoticed by this massive intelligence infrastructure that's was in place at that time. It wasn't. We're not talking about the you know early part of the twentieth century. Yeah, here. we're talking about just you know roughly twenty years ago. So yeah, and that was its job is to. Yeah, find stuff like that. A hundred billion dollar intelligence network, probably just within the U.S. alone. So that this uh, was to—that was always my thing. The idea that nobody knew anything, right out of the gate, I was like, off the gate, right? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> not out of the gate. Nope, not here. Not on terribly vexed. Really, it's right off the gate. Should I? Should I Google that and see if that's? No, I mean on terribly vexed, it's off the gate. That's what I'm saying. Like that's that's how we say it around these parts here. Oh, I see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was not aware of that. I'm glad you told me though. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Live-ish. You know, I've said I've I've made that error in the past. We brought it up on a couple podcasts, and I want to make that a thing. That's if our first T-shirt is going to be terribly vexed right off the gate, and there it is. That's our <laughs> just a black T-shirt, white letters. I like it actually. That's yeah. it's pretty yeah. Right off the gate. Right off the gate. Mm-hmm. This is not the way this is to be said. I think that should be our next uh title for just our like a terribly topical right off the gate. <laughs> right Something the like that. But that was uh a catchphrase. That was my thing. Just right initially, that was my first thought. I was like, no they were like nobody knew anything. So I was like, that's absurd. Yeah. That's totally absurd. I mean you know, 2001, today, 1995, 1980, the idea that nobody knows anything. These, All these intelligence networks all working together, you know, large part, Mossad, CIA, uh, yeah. NSA. They work with the Saudis in some weird capacity. 
I don't know. You know, people are always trying to connect those dots. Yeah. But the fact that they're just like telling us this shit, it's just like, and that people believed it and that everybody was like, all right, let's just go kick right some ass. It. It, it did bring us all together for a little bit there. <laughs> right, right. Brought in the uh, the Patriot Act and things like that, yeah. you know. But um, yeah. Anyway, where this is not a nine eleven dirty thirty here. Everybody knows essentially kind of what's going on now, and you're being lied to all the time. But anyway, <laughs> about every what'd you say earlier? Nothing. Everything. Nothing free. What'd you say? We're talking about Google Docs, and you said nothing free is really free, or something. You said something very. Oh, like well, you, we use Google Docs, and people yeah. use social media, and that's the that's the point of these things. Chat GPT, things like that. I mean, they tell you like in Chat GPT when you use it, like you're reading. People are reviewing the questions that you ask of it. Yeah, and your name or an account associated with you, i.e., IP address, things like that. It's being recorded. Everything's being documented. If you're on social media, they know your family, your friends. They know all of your interests. So there's a purpose to all this. Like Google Docs, for example. We use those to, you know, have in the past anyway, shared notes. Yeah. Uh, but also it's convenient. So they make it convenient for a purpose. They and can, free. And free. Right. So people can, you know... Well, first off, it's a, it's an Alphabet, which is the parent company of Google. It's one of their products. So anybody there can, which is essentially an extension of the military. <laughs> it's basically a, a defense contractor is what Google is, basically. So the idea that they're just, you know, giving you this free product because they want you to have, you know, an ease of work, a nice workflow so yeah, that you can... That's all it's about. Just <laughs> right, convenience. Right. That's what I was trying to tell you. It's yeah, all yeah, yeah. about convenience. Right. There's a price. There's always a price. Right. And that price is surveillance. They're watching and reading and collecting data on everything that all these products that people are using. And we still use them. So we're doing an episode on this. Not really a big deal. But, you know, we were doing an episode on Operation Condor. You know, state-sponsored terror. Now they might be a little interested that people want to know about that and that we have a podcast that we're sharing this information. You know? I hope so. Di any we're, any we're listener now. counts, you know? We're dissidents now, you see? Yeah, yeah. Speaking truth. Well, trying to anyway, yeah, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Um, we were talking uh, briefly uh, about what we were going to discuss during this little dirty 30 here, and I mentioned Burning Man to you. Oh, yeah. Do you do you want to talk about Burning Man for just a second? I would love to. It was just you you texted me a few things. Yeah. And that I didn't realize, you know, like like it was an it was a business LLC. Right, there's a had lot no of clue. Yeah, so most people have uh I don't know, in the real world, everyday folks probably don't give a shit about Burning Man or any kind of burns. There's one in Tennessee, did you know this? It's called To the Moon. Did I send you that one? No. Yeah, there's one that takes place here. Um, I assume them to be somewhat common throughout in yeah. of various sizes and, you know, complexity and whatnot. I think the one here is basically just a, uh, which is probably what the original Burning Man was, was a uh, just a festival of sorts. People meet, you camp. Um, there's, uh, you know, the, 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 the tribalistic sort of occult nature to some of the beliefs, I guess, associated with various things that go on there 
you know of course burning man now is like huge it's massive yeah like a lot of people say it's been taken over by the tech bros you've got yeah. a lot of your googles and all of your uh your your those guys have taken over lots of money has come into it right a lot so, of people I don't know what I'm saying with this stuff when I'm going to give you this information like I was sending to you the other day. I don't know what the purpose of it is. I just thought it was interesting. You just like it. Right. Yeah. Because it's not just going to a festival for me, right? It's not just a um, a thing people attend. I think for the majority of the people there, it's perhaps that's what it is. Yeah. They get something like that from it. But I'm always like wondering, like, where did it start? Who started it? Why did they start it? What is it now? Mm -hmm. So just that, you know, you discover that it's like numerous LLCs. There's at least one uh, NGO inside of it, inside of the company that is Burning Man, a non-governmental organization. Anytime you see those. Tax exempt. It's a five. You're telling me about, right? Yeah, it's a 501. The whole organization, the whole business of Burning Man is a... uh, is is a is a tax exempt nonprofit organization, and so it's like the Burning Man Project is like and there's an umbrella of sorts, if you will, and underneath that are all the different LLCs. Okay, and there's several of them, and they have like offices and stuff and little uh, towns in Nevada. Of course, they hold the event in Nevada up there in that uh, dry lake bed, right? Yeah. And I found it interesting just reading up on it that they have. Purchased uh, about 3,800 acres, which is probably about six to seven miles kind of northwest of the location that they hold it. So it's a massive ranch. It's called the Fly Ranch, I think. Yeah. Again, don't know what people are going to do with this information. I'm not implying anything. I'm just providing you some of the stuff that I read over the course of this. And the only reason this even showed up on my radar, like I said, I don't give a shit about Burning Man or any of this, whatever. It was just because of that whole weather that they had, and it was on the news every day. Yeah, yeah, that, yeah. I've never heard about it before till this year, really. Like you hear it's going on, but this year it kind of—it's been around for thirty years or yeah. something. Or yeah, we just hear of Burning Man, but this year it was—it was every headline. It was all over there for a while. Right, the the bad weather that they had, and yeah. people were getting stuck, and the whole you know there was a lot of nonsense, them. kind of you know around that. Yeah. Had had some feedback from people that I know. I've had to get some first accounts, firsthand accounts of what happened there. And then, well, like the guy, uh, Jeff, I was telling you about, he has knew a, a person that he talked to recently that went, this girl. And she was like, it was just not, This year? Yeah, just this okay. year. She went to the one just this year. And uh, not talking necessarily about the weather situation, which made things worse in some instances, I guess. But just the event itself. Uh, which I think she's been before several times. Yeah, she just thinks it sucks. Yeah, I can. That it's just lame anyway. That doesn't surprise me. But I've heard other people, you know, and you can get other accounts, especially if you go on YouTube and watch people's videos, uh, you know, talking about it and stuff, and they just absolutely adore it. I, uh, that has to be largely bullshit. They have to just be saying that to themselves because I don't see how anybody could possibly enjoy it. They're probably paid. These are. Paid maybe, maybe people to do videos because you know they're probably on the payroll somehow would yeah. be my would be my guess not entirely i mean people do get something from it i think you know 80,000 people you're going to have some percentage that enjoy i guess i just and you know like i sent you that one guy that was like 
they had those climate activists that had closed off the road for a few hours or something. And the guy's just like, we just want to fucking burn. I mean, he's a tool, he's a tool bag. There's a whole bunch of tool bags up there. They're all yeah. a bunch of tools. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, I, here's my thing. Okay. Too. And also, I don't know. I don't like, I don't like societies. Yeah. I don't like yeah. communities. Okay. I don't like groups, fraternities, clubs, I'm not, I don't want to be associated. I, because what happens is you get like group think. Okay. And that really just creeps me out And in a friend group. I would like to stay on the periphery. Even I just like to watch and sit back. I'd have no problem being part. What I'm saying is when things start getting weird and changing, you know, Mm -hmm. and you have to start conforming to (laughs) the group uh, idea, whatever that is, because you might think it might go badly if you don't. Kind of a deal, <laughs> right? Yeah, and uh, well, also like so, Burning Man, and what it is now in its current form. It started in San Francisco, okay, and there are tons and tons, not just in California, but specifically San Francisco, tons of cults that have come from San Francisco. So Burning Man came from a group of people that were had something to do with some group called the Cacophony Society or something like that, mm-hmm. which was pre Burning Man. And of course, the, I guess the first Burning Man's, they took place somewhere in California, like on a beach or something like that. Pretty, you know, low key, uh, very much probably like the ones we have here. They just burn some shit in a field and people show up. Yeah. But prior to the Cacophony Society, there was another, quote, secret society that was, it was called something else that predated the, the Cacophony Society. Oh, it was called the Suicide Club. That's also. Cool. Also started in San Francisco, but then also you have like, uh, you know, the People's Temple, which was what happened in Guyana with Jim Jones and all that stuff. Yeah, yeah. Yep. That was in San Francisco for a long time. Another cult. You also had like the one now that's in San Francisco that somehow managed to survive. More of that hippie bullshit. <laughs> uh, the Family. I don't know if you've ever heard of that one. I have not. There's tons. But of I don't keep up with. I'm not a big. I'm a cult guy. Yeah, I know you love cults. This is why I, this is why I'm anti uh, clubs and groups and community. I, it just I don't like it. It creeps me out. I'm an autonomous unit. I yeah. want to be left alone. I don't want to conform to a. I don't want a doctrine. They have principles. They're ten bullshit principles. Right, the Burning right. Man. Have you read those? Did I send those to you? Uh, no, you didn't. It's, they're a bunch of nonsense. Yeah, especially when you realize that. You know, one they have like a like a board. They have a chamber of or like a board member group that oversees the decisions made by the for the company or whatever. Yeah. One of their guys was a marketing dude for QVC. Like this is where your fucking message comes from. Your your QVC I did sells hear about cheap. This. <laughs> I yeah. said that to you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Like this is this these are your saviors. Okay. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, he sells cheap jewelry on the cable television, but this is okay. Yeah. One of your board members. Okay. So it's just fun. It's fun for me to read up on stuff like that because it also gives me ammunition to use against people when they're like, you don't understand. You don't get it. Should that ever happen? <laughs> and I know that it gives me the facts. It gives me truth. Yeah. yeah. One one day that argument will come <laughs> and you will have I'm prepared for it because all your points. In years past, they have shown up. They have Those arguments have shown up or yeah. something has, you know. Yeah. Uh, but it's weird that they bought all that land too. So I don't know what seems like you could hold it there. Why are you? Why are they allowed to hold such a massive event on federal land? 
You know, now you've got yeah. a four thousand acre uh, farm or ranch just north of that actual location. Why not just hold it there? You know, it's it's very expensive to attend. I think it's five hundred bucks to a thousand bucks per person. Yeah, so it's ridiculous. It's a bunch of LLCs. Uh, like I was mentioned to you in that text that time uh, recently, we're talking about this. It was like you know, anytime you see a nonprofit, it gives you the opportunity to like, oh sure, you're not technically making a profit on it right you're not making any money but maybe your 80 cents of every dollar is going to your administrative fees right and 20 cents right. is going to whatever sort of uh you know programs you have to help people out mm-hmm. i don't know i mean again i'm not making any sort of like i'm not casting any sort of judgments here i'm just giving you information just throwing it out there it's a little it's a little sus <laughs> it's a little sus. It, it, yeah. Yeah. So anyway. Well, so you what do you uh how about Bonnaroo? Would you not love to go to Bonnaroo? It sounds miserable to me, doesn't it? Yeah. That's another one. I knew I knew people that went and they always you know, mostly seem to say it was miserable because of just the accommodation that's provided, which is yeah. nothing. Did and you, you're burnt to a crisp. Do you hear there's going to be a fire? Fest 2 or whatever that's called. Remember that first one with the... I've never heard of that. The Fire Festival? Yeah, don't know. The one that Ja Rule put together and he claimed all kinds of meals and all, it was going to be like a kick-ass little... Where was this? I want to say it was down in the Caribbean area somewhere, but I'm not exactly sure where. Oh, okay. Imagine that. But uh, when they got there, it was like like the meals, like it was like... A, literally a piece of white bread and oh i do remember that's been years ago on. now yeah yeah, yeah. That's been and years they went to jail ago. for it and the guy that put it all together with ja rule just released a video that saying while i was in prison i uh was thinking about how we're going to do the second one and it's happening so the they're first doing one was garbage the first <laughs> and a total <laughs> yeah. scam but yeah and he was in prison putting together the second one so he learned his lesson yeah and he's gonna do it again well it just seems like why would anybody even risk that i don't if the it's, first one was such it, a failure, I guess I, you know. Yeah, not not him. I get him wanting to do it again. I'm sure he made a good good chunko change. Yeah, and but who's going to want to? I guess nobody do that? got anything for their money though, did they? Yeah, I don't think so. And then when Ja Rule said, uh, "What do you say? We didn't you guys? You lied to your uh, fans." Where he goes, "No, it wasn't lying. It was false advertising, maybe, but uh, I didn't lie to anybody." <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. All right. Uh, sounds like a real shyster. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. So, like, you know, I don't know festivals. I, I, you know, I spend a lot of time, not a lot of time, but a decent enough amount of time to looking at cults. That's why I'm sort of like standoffish to groups and things like that. But I get it. Community people need community. People need everybody needs a helping hand. Yeah. Just, uh. I just I, I prize the individual. An individual person it just gets weird and there's just a lot of instances and a lot of examples of it getting weird when you get things like Burning Man and you you know these people are not all making these decisions to say what they're saying or think what they're thinking on their own. They feel as if they're compelled to say or think or do because they're there. Right. You know? Right. Because other people are saying or doing. So I'm anti that shit. It's not me. It drives me crazy. 
And uh, again, just kind of going back to the, the, the history of cult activity in California and things originating from San Francisco. So you can go like Dave McGowan's book talking about Laurel Canyon stuff and so mm-hmm. many things that were that would make more sense now in retrospect, looking back on them, being like, uh, you know, psychological operations, like the whole hippie movement and things like that. So then it kind of makes you wonder, like, you know, for certain that something like Burning Man with 80,000 people, there's got to be undercovers all in that place. You know, yeah. it's got to be all all fed it up. Um, we know people are getting arrested. Cause there's a heavily like a heavy police presence there that they know of. But then there's probably tons of people that are undercover. And, you know, it's it's if if uh, they like to put sort of like this uh to say like Burning Man is like this real cultural impact. Anything you read about Burning Man, it's mm-hmm. got this real intense cultural impact, you know? Oh, yeah. And it doesn't have any cultural impact. Because if it did, it would not be allowed to exist. If it really did, okay? If people yeah. were really changing the fucking world and things were really, you know, they were really doing some wild shit coming out of there, other than just making goofy cars and, you know, wearing stupid shit walking around the desert is there is there music there like is it like a bonnaroo type thing or is it yeah it's a music uh it is a music festival like bands yeah. big big bands play there yeah shit. you know people are dazzled by neon lights and yeah i guess they they get on their drugs <laughs> right right <laughs> that's assumed i would imagine so naturally they're dazzled by shiny things yeah and uh people are wearing funny little costumes and things like that but mm-hmm. it has no cultural significance I, it, I i hate to you know that's just the truth of it. it it would not be allowed to exist if it did it's probably in some capacity you know my conspiratorial mind just uh you know it's a controlled opposition sort of a thing right you let the clowns think that they're you know having yeah. some sort of otherworldly experience you're high as shit and you're watching lights in the desert you're not changing anything. I'm sorry. I hate to break it to you, but I hate to be such a cynic, you know? I mean, that's that's the beauty of you, though, <laughs> is you can find the negative in anything. I can. And I love it. I love it, personally. Well, it comes from a world of, of reading lots of this stuff, you know? Seeing lots of this stuff in the cults. And when a, you know a group like this buys 4,000 acres... You know that means they're right. making a compound of sorts. There's going to be some sort of a home base. It's, that's when that's where it's all going to come out of. Well, that's you know it gets a little strange then, and then you get into the whole world of groupthink, and then we've got our own ethos, and we've got our own principles. And again, for our listeners, if you read the ten principles of Burning Man, it's total nonsense, especially when they're talking about like, uh, you know environmental impact and things like that because they'll leave like 10,000 bicycles up there in the desert that somebody else has to come clean up a good portion yeah. of the cleanup in the after the burning man is taxpayer money so they're a bunch of fucking liars I bet you that's where all that the, that's what the nonprofit. Does. I hope we get some flack over this I hope one of these burning man dipshits listens to <laughs> and uh, you don't understand man I would love you to don't talk get to it, one bro. I'd like to get one in here Talk to one. Or even on the phone or Zoom or whatever. Let's go undercover. That was your idea. Yeah. Let's go undercover. Me with this mustache, you know, Hawaiian shirt maybe. Well, yeah. It's like a... Like I a, never know. Like one of those... The Whenever they like James Bond had the American spy, he was always like a Hawaiian shirt, fat, yeah. doofus kind of a guy. Yeah. That, it could be you. Not that you're a doofus, but... I'm a doofus. You know what I'm saying. Again, I don't know. 
I haven't found in in all of the the reading that I did, which wasn't much. You know, you're looking at a few, uh, you know, pages like uh, what was the open uh, thing on like businesses? It's basically just lists the business. What what is that website called? Don't remember. Anyway, yeah, it tells sure. you what the LLCs are, the various businesses attached to Burning Man. You can look all those up for most companies. Yeah. Create an account. You can get more information on them. But uh, I was basically just looking at that. Did I find anything? A smoking gun of sorts to tell me that this is just a crazy cult of, you know, or a money laundering whatever? No, I didn't find any of that. But, you know, just that there's just, you know. I wonder if it, there is a whole thing about Burning Man conspiracies if if we were to start googling how far would would we get how deep's that rabbit hole if you will i don't know i didn't go that deep so i know that's what i'm saying and i i wouldn't uh i wouldn't venture to say there 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 probably is it could just as be as an innocent uh you know this is the way you just people having a good time this is the way you do a festival like this this you have a large organization it's massive at this point you have to make a bunch of llcs yeah for you tax have, purposes. You have to go, right, um, tax exempt. You have to go 501C. It's just funny. You look at the board members and things like that. It's just, it's funny to me. It's just funny. Yeah, QVC. QVC. Yeah. He's selling, yeah, cheap jewelry. Yeah. And he's, you know, this is your messiah, you fucking idiots. <laughs> well, there it is. That's what it came down to. Calling our listeners fucking idiots. Not our listeners. Oh, oh. People that go... Looking for some sort of higher. I misunderstood. From techno music. I misunderstood. And, okay. I got you. My apologies. You don't have to yell at me. I wasn't yelling at you. Oh God. Just like I'm not yelling at our <laughs> listeners. Okay. Jesus, man. I'm sorry. I'm 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 sorry. In general, if you're talking about people attending something like this, uh, if you are listening and you like the idea of Burning Man, enjoy. Knock yourself out. But nothing is going to come of it. You're not changing shit. You're a fucking idiot. And you're never going to be enlightened. It doesn't exist. There are no answers. There it is. <laughs> well, there it is. And don't listen to me. What do I know? Well, don't say that. Oh, okay. Yeah, listen to me. Yeah. I know exactly what I'm talking about. All right, you go now. You go. No, that's it. I was just going to say on that No, you know what you're talking about. I think I know what I'm talking about all the time about everything, obviously, if you, especially if you listen to past episodes. Clearly. I guess what? Now we're going to take a little break. You want to do uh, a little break, Ski? Yeah, we'll take a little break. We'll come back. We'll get into the third man factor. And we're back. Here we are. We're going to be talking about the third man factor today. You may or may not be aware of what that is. I was not somehow until Justin brought this to my attention. Thank you, Justin, for telling me about this. No problem. I just spill. I don't spend a great deal of time reading up on like. Uh, I mean, I've read about Shackleton's uh, expedition and and you know various expeditions where people have had you know some problems. Yeah. Which, um, but not for whatever reason. I never saw this. So that's why yeah. it was kind of unique. I think everybody's heard about it in the in being called a guardian angel. Mm. That's like the common term for it, I guess. But we're going to call it a felt presence. Yeah. Or we're going to say it's the third man factor because I guess that's what it's most widely known as now. Yeah, especially since the book by John Geiger, which is where we got a lot of this information from. 
fantastic book. It's called The Third Man Factor. Yeah. Yep. It's pretty good. It's, I just have... Oh, go ahead. It's, uh, you can find it on the Internet Archive, by the way. Or you can also get it on Audible if you want to listen to the audiobook, which is what we both did. Yep. Uh, we pulled from some other sources, too, but that was the primary source because uh, I guess he's really compiled the greatest amount of these stories. By far. And put I them think. into one place. Yeah. And it is a fascinating read. It does, it, you know, it does keep you pretty... Uh, uh, the, the the stories are all similar in the way things happen because right. people are in similar circumstances, mm-hmm. but each one of them is also kind of unique. So, and they're crazy. Yeah, they're like, pretty wild. Insane, especially like I texted you the Shackleton, which we'll get into a little bit. You know, not, maybe nothing, one of the first ones, eh? I think so. It's kind of one a big of one. Definitely the most famous one, I think. But uh, the fact that they all made it, it blows my mind. And how well, many guys? That was like that was quite a few guys. Like twenty nine, I think total. Yeah, twenty seven, twenty nine. Uh, real quick though, just to give the textbook definition of what the third man factor is, in case people aren't aware of that, third man factor or the third man syndrome refers to the reported situations where an unseen presence, such as a spirit, provides comfort or support during traumatic experiences. Okay, and very quickly, I'm just going to tell you what the traumatic experiences. And I got this from his book. Okay. It uh, comes from something, uh, situations called EUEs. Do you remember this? Yeah. Extreme but... and unusual environments. Mm-hmm. So you're going to see lots of these things, uh, these situations happening. Survival uh, situations where they depend on certain kinds of technology. For example, space. If you're talking about somebody in an airplane, we'll talk about the Charles Lindbergh mm-hmm. uh, situation. Mm-hmm. His, his flight across the Atlantic. Is that the one that what that's the one it was, right? That's it. Yep. Also, uh, another one of those is uh, one of these situations could require equipment or certain techniques that professionals would only be in these situations. Mm-hmm. It's not just environments where people are just walking into them. Right. It's the top of a mountain peak. It's twenty six thousand plus feet. Yep. It's remote location. Middle of the ocean. Middle of the ocean. Shipwrecks. Mm-hmm. So obviously, like Alexander Selkirk. Uh, you know, is a good example, the uh, inspiration for Robinson Crusoe, mm-hmm. and uh, also disaster situations, natural disasters, uh, tsunamis, earthquakes, anytime the environment's been changed, something like that. So you're looking at EUEs and extreme environments. Um, right. Anyway, just thought I'd go ahead and get that in there and mark that off my notes. Well, I mean, that is the common factor with almost all these. Definitely the extreme environments. Right. Uh, I do have here that, did you see this, the T.S. Eliot poem called The Wasteland? That's kind of where it got the name, th- that's where the third man kind of came from. Yeah, he, he coined it, that term being the third man, but like originally it was supposed to have been the fourth man, right? Yeah, yeah. The, the, during the Ernest Shackleton debacle, right? there was three of them walking, you know, 36 hours straight through polar hell. Across a mountain range. Yeah. And um, all three of them. Do you just want to get into the Ernest Shackleton thing? And then go back to the T.S. Eliot poem? Yeah. If you want to go ahead and read the poem. or Let's see. I got it right here. Yeah. So Ernest, or I'm sorry. T.S. Eliot has a poem called The Wasteland. And one of his past, one of the passages from it is he's referencing Ernest Shackleton and his experience and um the passage goes as follows wish me luck here okay who is the third who walks always beside you 
when I count, there are only you and I together. But when I look ahead up the white road, there is always another one walking beside you, gliding wrapped in a brown mantle, hooded, I do not know whether a man or a woman, but who is that on the other side of you? It's beautiful. It's, it's incredible. So is that's it? where that phrase came from. Yep. And that, again, that's referencing, referencing Shackleton. So the Shackleton thing today, uh, for the purposes of this episode, again, we're not going to get into the finer details of all these various expeditions. We would direct you to the book mm-hmm. and some of the interviews that you can find with the Geiger on YouTube, which I think you watched a few of those. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, I'll post those in the show notes. Because, again, the, the, the details are, are fascinating, but we don't have time. This format doesn't permit that sort of thing. Yeah. Did you um, also see the biblical references? The the possible, depending on their interpretations, of course. Right. I got three here. Daniel in the lion's den. Have you? Did you hear these? Hit me with them. Hit me. Hit, uh, just, hit us. Uh, hit us. Okay. Okay. You got Daniel in the lion's den. That uh, in this story, Daniel is thrown into a den of lions as punishment for his religious beliefs. He survives the night unharmed, and some interpretations suggest that an angel or divine presence protected him from harm. These are all possible right. third man experiences that were written about, whatever. They're likening these uh, instances in these stories to the third man syndrome or third man factor. Yep. Okay. Yep. And then you got the three Hebrews in the fiery furnace. That's, um, you got three, oh God, these names are so rough. Let's not worry about the names. I like it. I like it. They, all three of them, (laughs) are thrown into a fiery furnace for refusing to worship a golden image. They are miraculously unharmed by the flames and some interpretations, again, depending on who's reading this, see this as divine intervention. Intervention. Got my tongue today. Then you have the angel comforting Jesus in Gethsemane. Right? Yeah, you know, the angels comforting him. Do you want to go in? We don't need more detail on that, huh? I leave that entirely up so to there's, you. There's possible, possible, good Lord, what is with me today? It's okay. Possible biblical references to this factor. Yeah, so uh, just looking at some of the names from, some of the different names from his from his book, Geiger's book, so there he doesn't mention Alexander Selkirk, but there's other examples uh, where he's brought up. Robert Falcon Scott. He had an ill-fated Terra Nova expedition to the South Pole in 1912. Scott and his companions reported feeling the presence of a spirit guiding them. Uh, there's tons of these. In fact, the author of the book had one, or a couple of them. He had one as a child too, didn't he? Yeah, some with the rattlesnake. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think he would. He almost stepped on the rattlesnake, and his dad was ahead of him on the trail. Yes. And then he said he felt a comforting presence with him while his dad... But know, he saw himself turned. from the third person. Right, right. Above himself. Yeah. So... That's true. Yeah. But, but then he also had one later uh, when he was participating in some sort of a scuba diving expedition. I don't remember that one. Yeah, this was your precious chat GPT giving me that information. Oh, See, with ChatGPT, what I like to do <laughs> is I'll ask it some questions, and then I'll do some further Googles. Cross-reference. To see if it's really just, if it's just pulling shit out of its ass. I think it is sometimes. Okay. Douglas Mawson, during his 1912 Antarctic expedition, Mawson faced a life-threatening situation and reported sensing the presence of a stranger who accompanied him and provided guidance. 
it's it's pretty vague. Um, again, we're not going to go into specifics of some of these, but we do have some of the stories from the book that we're going to talk about, which yeah. is what we're doing now. But anyway. Yeah, a lot, a lot of them are just quick stories like that. Like when you look into this, like some of them are way more detailed, like the Shackleton one. The guys that were trapped in the in the uh, the lifeboat situation. I mean, a lot of those guys died. That was a World War II thing, right? That was in the book. Which one was that? Oh, Jesus, you would ask, wouldn't you? I w- <laughs> Sorry, I'll, I'll cut that part out. The ship got sunk. The guys went into the went into the lifeboat. There was quite a few right, of them, probably right, like right, half a right. dozen. So, but some guys started drinking seawater. Four hundred men went into the water. <laughs> right. Four hundred and one were there. Bad news. Uh, I don't know. You don't want to drink seawater, though. So it's going to... It's the beginning of the end. Yeah, it's yeah. over. Kidney failure. So they started fighting each other, but a couple of guys survived. And uh, they they spoke of the same thing. Some right. sort of a presence there. But anyway, yeah. I guess we could get back to Shackleton's thing. We sort of jumped around there a little bit. Yeah, we've just been teasing at Shackleton. Yeah. Yeah, so he... He was the leader. 1914, he led the expedition to... He wanted to cross Antarctica from one side to the other on foot. 1,800-mile total journey. And uh, his ship got stuck. His ship was called the Endurance, which... Did I send you the pictures of that shipwreck that they found? They found the Endurance? No, but I I saw that recently where they've located... It's like in 10,000 feet of water or something, Yeah, and it was just last year. It looks brand new. It looks... Like, you know, that Titanic looks all... You know, eaten away and everything. This thing, it looks pristine down there. I guess because it's so cold, frigid, very yeah. little algae growth and all that. But it's just, it's crazy to look at and just knowing what happened to it. Yeah, it's all also. crushed up. It's wild that they found that. Yeah, yeah. So in January of 1915, the ship got stuck. October is when they abandoned it. So they were sitting there for that long, just in that ship in moving ice, listening to it get. This whole Shackleton thing could be an episode itself. It's incredible. Yeah, I was just look. I was looking into this story, and then I just started. Ended up reading about Shackleton. But uh, so, anyways, they uh, abandon ship, and then they sit there on the drifting ice for more than a year. Then they end up getting this a little tiny lifeboat called the James Caird. Did you see that? That's still around, by the way. I'm gonna. I'm getting too deep into the Shackleton thing. It's okay. I just, I just. There's nothing love it. wrong with details. Get, okay. Give okay. the details if you've if you've got them. I got. You want to share them? I got some real quick ones here. I mean, to some degree, people are here to learn something, so we're trying to provide that's true that service as well. That's true. So they get this lifeboat, the James Caird, Shackleton, and two other fellas. They rig this boat with sails, and they sail 800 nautical miles, 921 miles. <laughs> Thanks. Facts. Through, you know, rough seas, winds, hell. And they finally made it to South Georgia Island, where there is a whaling station and all that stuff on it, but they were on the wrong side of it. Of course. Bummer. Yeah. Big bummer. So then there was a 36-hour hike over glaciers, mountain ranges. It was about 22 miles, roughly, but 36 hours straight and in hell conditions. Hellish conditions. Can you imagine that? Got his crew sitting back there waiting. Yeah, yeah. 27, 25 other men are already sitting back there. Three men set out. On Elephant. They were on Elephant Island, but they are on South Georgia Island now. And uh, eventually they made it. They get rescued. And then they end up going back. Entire crew saved. Not one person died or killed each other. No, that is the incredible part to me. 
Yeah, it is. It's You're, amazing. Yeah, nobody... Plus, went, you look at the technology of the equipment and stuff that they had at the time. Yeah. It's crazy. And I was thinking about that, though. Like, they thought they were hot shit. Like, you know, they thought they were just as advanced as we think we are now. Yeah. But look at them now. Look, it's, 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 it's incredible. So, yeah. And then you got... Uh, and then that's when Shackleton, he started writing in his diary, did interviews and, and such. And that's when he started talking about this... Uh, felt presence and then the two other men that were with him frank worsley and tom crean they didn't even mention this until their captain started talking about it and then they jumped aboard and see that's that's uh when you're talking when we get into the 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 theories of the third man syndrome now you've got three guys that all experienced the same not three individual entities but one Mm -hmm. that they all attributed to being their fourth member of their team yeah so you have this that 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 adds that extra you know layer of uh, strangeness to the whole uh, phenomenon, right? Yeah, yeah. The fact that there's more than one person, same entity, it's really crazy. Yeah, because I'm trying to read this thing and and uh, reading up on it or whatever. I my initial theory is that it's something your brain does, some sort of objective side of your brain where it's able to divorce itself from the situation and the emotions, and because you see that. When people experience this, they're now able to sort of like listen to it and mm-hmm. it gives them rational thought on what they right. need to do next. Right. There's no emotion. There's no worry. There's no concern. There's just do this next, do this, do this, do this. Mm-hmm. And eventually, well, in some cases, when people experience it anyway, they're able to find their, their way out of it. Right. So that's one thing. But again, these three guys all experienced the same person it wasn't three individual entities one for each guy no they were just all saying that there was somebody else with us yeah that was guiding them making pushing them forward yeah like it was a helpful presence an, op- an optimistic that, yeah come on guys you can do this yeah, yeah. <laughs> thanks mysterious entity i wonder if it was like a drill sergeant in their ear like one guy falls get the fuck up go you, you know just screaming at him it's kind of that be helpful I don't know if that would be. It depends on the person. Would that motivate you, or would you be like, "Shut up," and then? I don't think I've ever. I don't think in any of s- the ones I've seen, it was like that. It no. was much more of a uh, nice, yeah, yeah, a cordial. <laughs> yeah, nobody. There wasn't an asshole. No, but, wasn't. Yeah, yeah. I got. I do have a quote from Shackleton. If you want to hear that, I think we all want to hear that. So he wrote this in 1916. Uh, When I look back at those days, I have no doubt that Providence guided us not only across those snow fields, but across the storm-white sea that separated Elephant Island from our landing place on South Georgia. I know that during that long and racking march of 36 hours over the unnamed mountains and glaciers of South Georgia, it seemed to me often that we were four, not three. So I think that's the quote that T.S. Eliot got. That's the one kind of what got famous for this whole thing yeah 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 and then t.s Eliot decided to make it the third man not the fourth man and so you you had picked out several of the Lindbergh was one of them right uh yeah yeah this was just a do you want to talk about his for just a second sure because i had just a we can kind of go into that one i suppose mm-hmm yeah, this one was 1927, and he was the first person to complete a 33-hour solo flight from New York to Paris. And after he landed, he said he was you know, sleep-deprived, obviously. He's fighting sleep, boring-looking sky, very 
you know, bleak. Yeah. The monotony uh, of the whole process. Yeah, yep. And then he wrote later that there were phantoms aboard the plane and they conversed. There was a lot of them. That's what I was. Yeah. There wasn't multiple. just one. There was multiple. Yeah. But this came later in 39 in a memoir that he wrote. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yep. And he said they conversed and they were all, they were advising him on the flight and they were all very reassuring. So just a helpful, <laughs> just helpful presences. You're in a plane uh, by yourself yeah. and now the cockpit is full of people, yeah. entities, phantoms yeah. that he's calling them. Yeah. This was, uh, this. I think he said this started happening at the 22nd hour. It was uh, what it said in the book. 22nd hour of his flight. And I imagine it's... You know, you're not going crazy high up because you got the you know propeller plane. So you got the droning. You're kind of getting rocked around a little bit. That you're just looking at empty sky. I fall asleep driving. I have yeah come close, very close. Yeah, I there's imagine. been drives I don't remember. Oh yeah, definitely. I, so I I imagine this is, you know, which they say one of the theories, which which I do have a list of the theories yeah, is the all these stories. A lot of them. They do have similarity in that they're all in these extreme environments, like you said. You very is, literal, uh, little sensory input. Our brains require yeah. a lot of like constant feedback. Yeah. So one of the theories is your brain is just making up these things just to try to get you to just to get something. And a lot, and the most. I'll get to it later. Go ahead. Sorry. I got nothing. Well, I got one. More of Charles. That's pretty much Charles' story. Yeah, yeah. Do you have? I did. That's all. That's all that I had on that. Do you have more? No, no, no. It was just basically talking about the reason why I would go to his go into his so fast was uh, there were more than one. Right. Most people will speak of being accompanied by a single entity, but yeah, or or presence. But uh, in some cases, they've even talked about them being family members too. That's been another. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's one of the stories you talked about, but he definitely talks about that in the book. Yeah. One of the stories is it was clearly. A presence that they knew, so it was like right. a mother, a sister, somebody they lost, and not really. They don't see them. It's just a again a felt you presence. Feel and you know who this person is. It's a comfortable. I know what this this is. Yeah. In most instances, it is comfortable. But then he briefly talked about their the destroyer. What was that all about? It was like yeah. Towards the end, it was the the positive sort of right. I don't know. Is that your brain? You know, just struggling it, through yeah. all of the adversity to you know yeah who knows but i do have one jo- again and not a whole lot of information but joshua slocum he's a famous sailor man and yeah. as you know I, i'm a big fan of these sailors but uh you yourself are a sailor i try but here in tennessee it's kind of difficult but he was the first man to sail around the world single-handedly has a famous book out, Sailing Alone Around the World. It's pretty good. But uh, 1895... You've read it? I have. Even besides doing research? Pre this, this yeah. Oh, yeah. Very interesting, mm-hmm. indeed. Mm-hmm. I like the idea of doing that. Like I, I would love to just get in the middle of the ocean. Away? Yeah. Uh, terrifying. Don't get me wrong, because I'm scared of dark water. But then think about a giant storm and giant waves, yeah. and you're all alone. Yeah. You'd have to know your shit. And... Now you have, you know, real time weather tracking, weather alerts. Back then, nothing. You just had to hope, just go and just hope. You it, had to have really known like times of years, mm-hmm. uh, time of year to do certain 
areas of the ocean and things like that. Yeah. Like you don't go to the Southern Ocean, I guess. No. Uh, during the season change. Yeah. Bad idea. That's just, yeah, that's <laughs> no good. A lot of currents. Yeah. Uh, Stormy weather and whatnot. Yeah. Yep, yep. So this one, he, uh, this was 1895. He became ill. He had some food poisoning, probably a bad clam or something. But uh, it was a two-day-long storm that he sailed right into. It lasted 48 hours. And he was, you know, so sick, he just, you know, just forget it. He went and laid down at the floor of his cabin. And But, he, you know, it's a smaller boat. You can kind of see the wheel kind of back there. Yep. And he said that a strange guest that was his term for it took the helm and guided his ship for two days and he said he could see him he said he was you know he could see this entity steering his ship and he made through he made it through unharmed completely unharmed and not far off from where he thought he would be did he describe the appearance of this uh entity that was you know not in, operating his uh, boat. Not, I didn't hear anything from him directly, but I did see drawings, and it was like your classic sailor man looking thing. But it wasn't nothing from him. And what was the uh, the the year that he did this? Uh, eighteen ninety five. He did this in eighteen ninety five, mm-hmm. and so the character that he would have seen would have been in similar period clothing. Yeah, just of that time period. Yeah, okay. I would imagine so. Uh, th- this is not really. It kind of ties into this a little bit. Not this story specifically, but just the weird phantom presence. Are you familiar with uh, Grandfather Mountain in North Carolina? I've heard of it, but I don't know anything about it. Hiked it a few times. It's a pretty pretty tough hike. There's lots of uh, lots of uh, ladders to to go up that mountain. It's a pretty strenuous hike. I think there's probably like twenty or twenty five of them across the whole whatever. Um, you know, you don't have to be a professional climber, rock climber to do it or anything. There's ladders and there's some cables and things like that. And you just got to yeah, be somewhat physically fit. Yeah. Okay. But that mountain in particular has a story of a phantom hiker that has been seen supposedly by people. And I don't know if in particular he's, you know, been associated with any sort of like he's there to help or guide or anything like that. But there are some stories about a person that has been seen on Grandfather Mountain and he doesn't have he doesn't have the current era clothing. He's he's got period clothing from the past. Okay? So he's been seen. You can find this stuff on the internet, okay? Yeah. I don't know if you can trust that or not. I don't know if that's the most trustworthy trustworthy source for this information. But no. for whatever reason, grandfather has been yeah, there has been uh, some stories of a of a phantom entity yeah. sort of You you just telling that tale just then? I'm pretty sure you brought this up before because this I made a joke and I remember making the joke and it popped in my head again. I almost said it. You said he had period clothing and I said, so he's in bloody clothes. You remember that? I don't. You don't remember that? That was one of my best jokes ever. Would have been so long ago, right? <sighs> All right. Anyways. I wish I did. I know. I know. I'll I'll find it. I'll, I'll insert it here. I'll go back through the archives. And <laughs> I'll insert it right here. A good 24 episodes ago, probably, yeah. somewhere there about. Yeah, probably. Well, I just thought about that, too, because it was like they're talking about these this third man, an entity, a phantom, you know, and it just seemed to, again, don't know if mm-hmm. that particular story ties into this in the, in the way that he's there to help or assist, does other anybody, than the fact that people have seen this, supposedly. Does anybody Grand- ever speak to him, or is it just like a dude hiking? I don't know the specifics okay. of... 
but supposedly someone's been seen. Could just be a reenactor wearing clothing. Yeah. Walking across the, climbing and hiking across the mountain. They do that. I mean, I've thought about doing it. You should. You should definitely do that. Creeping people out. You got the mustache for it. I do now. Yeah. Uh, I got another one here, kind of going back to what you were talking about. T.E. Lawrence. Are you familiar with T.E. Lawrence? Thomas Edward Lawrence. You may know him as Lawrence of Arabia. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I've heard of that guy. He had a similar experience. Now, was that in the book, too? No. No, this one was in one of his YouTube interviews that he was talking about. That's right. That's right. You told me. Yep. Uh, So he was the liaison officer between the British government and Arab tribes during World War I. And in 1917, him and his guide were separated in the Arabian Desert, somewhere near Wadi Rum, Jordan, right? Right. And uh, so it's several days of them just walking through this desert. And I looked at pictures of this desert, and it looks awful. It's what you would think of like in a, like a movie. Formidable. Just awful. Horrible. Nothing, right? Yeah, extreme heat, dehydration, exhaustion. And then they finally ended up finding their group again. And then he uh, went on to say, Lawrence said, he experienced a helpful presence that gave him practical advice for navigation, directions to water, and shelter, and also told him to avoid certain areas, and he claimed to have actual discussions with this guy. So he actually spoke to him. But, this is kind of going back to what you said earlier, Lawrence then went on to say that he believes that his experience was a psychological coping mechanism. It was a product of extreme stress and isolation, and it was his subconscious mind providing support during his life-threatening situation. I mean, a lot of these, that seems most feasible. And that's his own theory on it which is kind of interesting. that He experienced it, and he's like, nah, that was just my brain making something up to help me out. He didn't think it was anything paranormal, otherworldly. Right, right. Which is kind of interesting. Yeah. A guy that experiences it. He dismisses it. And he's just like, eh. Yeah. So, you know, interesting. Yeah. It's definitely one of the theories Mm -hmm. I'm sort of leaning towards, even though there's more. Um, And, of course, uh, in his book, Geiger goes into a lot of those. Not yeah. all at once. No. So they're, they're sort of sprinkled throughout the book. Yeah, and they're written out a lot better than what how we're putting it. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> a little more eloquent. <laughs> did you do the uh, the Joe Simpson guy? Did you did you read it? Was that one of yours no. that you included? Nope. He was a British climber, Joe Simpson, famous for his book and uh, film Touching the Void, reported experiencing a coldly rational voice in his head during his brush with uh, death. Uh... Squaron? That sounds right. <laughs> In Peru, uh, quote, the voice was clean and sharp and commanding. It was always right, and I listened to it when it spoke and acted on its decisions. Um, end quote. The other mind rambled out a disconnected series of images and memories and hopes, which I attended to in a daydream state, as I said about obeying the orders of the voice. So when Joe Simpson heard a voice during a dif- he, uh, difficult conditions on that particular mountain that I'm going to butcher again if I try and say, somewhere in Peru, he immediately attributed it to a routine, uh, I guess he put a routine explanations to it as well. He thought that it might have been, he left his Walkman on or something because he was hearing these voices in his ears, okay? Uh, on checking, he said though, however, he found that his uh, Walkman had been switched off and carefully wrapped in a scarf, scarf 
in the top pocket of his uh, sack. So he didn't have it. Pulled back the baklava, exposing my ears to the icy wind, thinking that it might have been rubbing sounds of the fabric. The voices were still there. Still there. Mm-hmm. Still hearing it. And um, so it just goes on to say, when people living in the ancient times, they could have had some sort of, this could have been the or, or, origins of sort of religious voices, people hearing right. religious um, a deity of sorts, right? Oh, yeah. Definitely. So that was kind of uh, another one of the climbing uh, tales. Yeah. I got a climbing one here. Uh, Frank's, is, I'm not sure, is it Smith or Smythe? S-M-Y-T-H-E. I would say Smythe. I know, but okay. Some of them, the E was off on some of the things I was reading, so I wasn't sure. But uh, he... Who 19- gives a shit? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess. Uh, it was 1933, and he was climbing Mount Everest with a group of other climbers, right? And right. due to, uh, you know, the obvious the obvious troubles of hiking up Mount Everest, like lack of oxygen, kind freezing of temperatures, yeah. winds... Uh, everybody turned back except for him. He's the only one that kept on going all by himself. Um, I have a quote from him right here. Okay. All that time I was climbing alone, I had a strong feeling that I was accompanied by a second person. The feeling was so strong that it completely eliminated all loneliness I might otherwise have felt. Similar to every other experience. Yep. But in this one... He actually pulled out a slab of Kendall mint cake. Not sure what it is, but it sounds delightful. He's going to eat it, right? He broke it in half and turned around to give it to this guy. See, that's weird. And there's nobody there. He actually <laughs> wrote that down in his diary about trying to hand over a piece of food. Piece of cake. Yep. That's wild. Yep. Yep. Uh, with all the help from that third man, though, he, uh, he did not make it to the summit of Everest. He had to stop about a thousand feet from. He would have had he succeeded. He would have been the first person to reach the summit of Everest. Well, there's no guarantee that the third man is going to help you accomplish your That's mission. True. He's Just, there to su- theoretically, supposedly help you to survive, keep you alive, which may or may not have anything to do with whatever it was you were going there for in the first place. So. Yep, yep. But I think that's one of the more interesting ones with the whole cake handing. Like he felt it so strongly. Yeah, I've got to give my buddy some cake here. Yeah. Thanks for the thanks for the help, bro. Mint cake. That sounds delicious. It does, doesn't it? I'm going to Google that when we're done. Make some? Maybe. Kendall was the brand, though, I think. Huh. I don't know. And then, of course, you know, I guess we can go to this one now since we're 9-11 here. We do have one of the 9-11 stories, which is uh, Ron DeFrancisco. Is that his name? Francesco? Francesco. DeFrancesco. Yeah. And uh, I'm just going to be reading directly from the book. You had this one also? I have it, but I'm sure that's better than one I got. I just got some bullet points here. If uh, once I finish reading this, you have something to add, feel free. Okay? I love it. So basically, he was in the second building, I believe. Okay? Second building, and first building had already been hit. I guess the word at that point was still that you're completely fine. You can stay in this building or whatever. But finally, second plane hits. And uh, that's where I pick up in the book. He says he groped his way down, going down the stairway. He, he was on the 84th floor. Okay, yeah. So, uh, Groped his way down, unable to see more than a few feet ahead. He stopped at a landing in the middle of the impact zone 
on the 79th or 80th floor. Overcome by the smoke, he joined others, about a dozen people in all, some stretched out, face down on the concrete floor, others crouched in the corners, all uh, gasping for air. They were blocked from descending further by a collapsed wall. He could see panic in their eyes and fear. Some were crying. Several began to slip into unconsciousness. Then something remarkable happened. Quote, someone told me to get up. Someone, he said, called me. The voice, which was male, but did not belong to any one of the people in the stairwell, was insistent. Quote, get up. It insisted De Francesco by his, it addressed De Francesco by his name. He said, hey, you can do this. There's that positive reaffirmation mm-hmm. again, you know? Yeah. You can do this, man. You got this. Right. So you have to put yourself in those, you know, in that, in that position. Bellowing smoke, plane, yeah. just, you know. Can't see anything. Can't see, can't breathe. breathe. Yeah. Yeah. Nothing, right? Um, very, I, I imagine, very high stress. A lot You're of stress. Pretty panicked. Yeah, because like, like it says right here from the, from the book, it's, um, you know, a lot of people made split second decisions that day that determined whether they lived or died. What is different about uh, DeFrancesco is that at a critical moment, he received help from a seemingly external source. He had the sensation that, quote, somebody lifted me up. He felt that he was being guided. I was led to the stairs. I don't think some something grabbed my hand, but I was definitely led. He resumed his descent and soon saw a point of light. He followed it. Fighting his way through the drywall and other debris that had collapsed, obstructing the stairwell, then he encountered flames. He recoiled, recoiled from the fire, but still someone helped him. Quote, an angel urged him along. I guess that's the first time it's been said to be an angel. Yep. He's using this. Yep. Quote, the, there was still danger, so it led me to the stairwell, led me to break through, led me to run through the fire. There was obviously somebody encouraging me. That's not where you go. Uh, you don't uh, want to go towards the fire. He covered his head. His forearms continued down. Essentially, sort of, everybody, there was a lot of people in the group just prior to this, which I didn't include, was talking about going up. So the plane hit below where they were, and then they're wanting to go up, thinking that if I go to the roof, I'm going to get some help up there. Yeah. A little piece of advice. Okay. <laughs> I mean, this is just me. It's me talking to you. Yep. Plane hits your building. You got to go down. There's no other way. Don't ever go up. Yeah. This is just going to be my my take on the whole thing. My two cents. If I'm in a plane or if I'm in a building and a plane hits, I'm going down. I've got to find a way down. So for whatever reason, he was following people going back up because they were running away from the flames and the smoke and all that stuff. It makes sense. A lot of people continued to go up. He finally... Got this, you know, some divine intervention possibly. Mm -hmm. Or his rational brain kicked in and said, hey, maybe going up isn't such a great idea. And he went down. Right. So finally he reached a clear lit stairwell below the fire on the 76th floor. Only then did the sense of benevolent helper, one who had been with him for five minutes or so, end. That was the end of it. That was the end of his experience. So I think at that point it let me go. Yeah, and what I got here, he was the last person out of that tower. Yeah, he was the last it person collapsed, which is pretty crazy. Yeah, that person plus he's the last one out. Right, man. You got any other uh, useful tidbits about his particular story? Uh, not about his, no, no. I mean, that's again a lot of these stories are really just quick. You know, there's a ton of them, but they're just. How many would you, you say know. are in the book? There's probably about what. 
I don't know, 15 or 20, yeah, I guess. Something like that. He said he has hundreds, though. Hundreds. I'm surprised he hasn't these. done a uh, another volume, really. Yeah. Yeah, I think he has. He does have a second book out that's related. It's like guard. It's angels. I, f- I forgot what's called something with angels in the title, but uh, I'll find it here. Uh, did you read about the Michael Collins one? That was kind of interesting. Let's hear it. You know who Michael Collins was, right? He himself was a third man, often unnamed, on the Apollo Eleven mission. That I don't want to go too deep on this. <laughs> may or may not have actually landed on the moon. Right, right. Yeah, he was. The, you know, yeah, Neil Buzz, and then Michael Collins. Michael, he was the yeah. third guy. Uh, he, he, his goal, his job was to stay on the command module while Neil and Buzz landed on the moon. Right. And he, you know, orbited, you know, around. He was <laughs> sure uh, he did. Sure he did. <laughs> he, he was out of direct communication from anybody for twenty-one and a half hours while he was passing through the other side of the moon. Which made him technically, as Carl Pilkington once put it, he was the loneliest man in the world. Right, right. He was the most. He, he was separated from you know. It's it's everything and everyone. Yeah, from yeah. And he said during that in his autobiography, "Carrying the Fire," uh, he wrote that he had a sensation of a companion or a presence he called the astral companion, and it kept him company and provided a sense of reassurance and comfort. That's Until pretty, he pretty bitchy got back in contact. Yeah. What was it again? The the name of the what do you call it? Not the book. Oh, I'm sorry. The Astral Companion. I like that. Or he also said Boogeyman, but it's spelled with one O. So Bogeyman, I'm not sure. Huh. But Astral Companion is definitely cooler. Yeah, I'm gonna stick with that. Right? Yeah. So I didn't say it the first time. <laughs> uh but yeah, yeah. But again, very bleak. You know. You're alone. environment, you're just alone, bored out of your mind, I would imagine. I mean, for him, though, death wasn't imminent, so yeah, but it's, it's you're still, still in an extreme. Still, It still fits the criteria for an right, extreme. Right, yeah, right, the right. AUE that we were t- yeah. talking about earlier. There. Right, right. So, yeah. All right. I mean, that's... Sh- Is that uh, most of the stories, I guess, that we were going to go over for this? Those are my just stories. To introduce people to this, to, to this um, phenomenon? Yeah, yeah. And of course, like said, again, go into the book. Lots more details. That, oh yeah. I mean, we're we're just glossing over uh, the basics of these stories. There's a lot of more details included. A lot of more weird details mm-hmm. that sort of uh, add some sort of uh, credibility to whatever it is. You know, I guess we could kind of go into the theories now too. Anyways, it's, yeah. Seems a natural progression, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. So, like, there's the stress response, coping mechanism, right? We've kind of discussed that. Yep. It's your brain. One, uh, something in your brain. One side of the brain, the logical side, mm-hmm. is trying to be as objective as possible. So, it's kind of taking over, I guess. Right. Yeah, it can, extreme stress and life-threatening situations can trigger uh, disassociation. Could, you could that? explain kind of like the snake thing with Geiger himself. He's kind of outside of his body. The third person perspective. He was yep. kind of looking down on the situation. Yep, yep, and depersonalization, which similar. So, I also have here altered states of consciousness is a good. Were you done with that? I'm sorry. Did I move on too no, fast? No, that's fine. Okay. Yeah, like uh, altered states of consciousness. You're up there, especially with mountain climbing and stuff like that. Your lack of oxygen, hypoxia. Can cause hallucinations, sensory deprivation, 
sensory deprivation. Which also falls, I guess, into the category just in that mm-hmm. you're dealing with a bleak environment. Yep. And so you, your brain may try to overdo what it's yeah. it's needing constant feedback. So Yep. Yep. Lack of external stimuli causes the brain to try to fill the void. Create stuff to fill the void is how I read it. Yeah. And I like that. And the most common uh, hallucination from sensory deprivation is voices. You start hearing voices of people who aren't there, obviously. So I thought that was kind of interesting. Neurobiological factors. Some scientists have explored the neurobiological aspects of the third man fact that suggests certain brain regions and neurotransmitters might be involved in creating these perceptions, although the exact mechanisms are not well understood. Wow. Uh, evolutionary I mean, explanation. I got that one. Yep, yep. Uh, hypothesis: Third man factor may be may have evolved as a sur- survival strategy. Right. Presence of a comforting figure could encourage individuals to keep going, conserve energy, make good decisions. Yep. Uh, it's like a good way to talk through your your you know ideas, your plans, your whatever. You almost you have the, uh, it's giving you a break to sort of work things out. Right. right. Like, should I take this path? Should yeah. I continue on this direction? Should I stop? Should I eat? Should I, whatever. Yeah. Yep. And of course, there's always the guardian angel, the spirit guide. Religious. Yeah. Divine intervention. Uh, Protectors. Of course, you'd have to really look at the whole thing uh, to see like uh, the specifics of regional you know, sort of religious beliefs, I guess, right. maybe. Yeah, Cultural that thing, that beliefs. That would depend on your culture, for sure. Your, what you believe in. It's different. Right. It goes across all the board. And then I uh, have uh, extraterrestrials. You really had that? I just That's my theory about it. <laughs> so, okay, I gotcha. Yeah, there are aliens helping us out. Because I did not see that anywhere. <laughs> no. No, this one, I did not see anything alien-related, unfortunately. I know, it's a real bummer, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I have a some quotes here from John Geiger himself. What kind of his whole thing? He says, "Clearly, let's do it. Let's do it. Clearly, there is a spiritual or religious explanation to this phenomenon. Many skeptics and non-believers also had this experience, and they attribute it to other explanations. And there is certainly some very interesting science behind this. And then this last one, I do, I do really like a lot." If we understand that the third man factor is a part of us, the way adrenaline is, then we can start to access it more easily. It's not a hallucination in the sense that hallucinations are disordering. This is a very helpful and orderly guide. Hmm. So it's just something that is in your brain. It's always there. And it just takes a lot for us to tap into it. it. Yeah, but it's there. Helpful for everybody. Yeah, essentially for everyone. Yeah. That may find themselves. He talks about that in the book too. Uh, you know, obviously, adventure travel is a thing now. Some more people are doing mm-hmm. crazy things like this, and it's being experienced more often. Yeah, and he doesn't he do that? Doesn't he have a company or something that he's in Canada? Uh, and he does sure. like mountain climbing, or I don't know. So I, I'll you know I'll post his whole thing in the show notes. I just saw him talking about it. I personally have never been one of these experiences. I've never experienced the third man factor. I've I've done solo hikes where I've been in some pretty crazy weather in the mountains before. Yeah. Obviously it was never life threatening to the point where but you do talk to yourself. I mean, hell, if you're alone, I'm alone. And if I've you know, I've hiked the most I've hiked in one day is twenty two miles. By yourself. By myself. How many people do you run into? 
Well, it depends roughly on where you go. Yeah, depends on where you go, but like, you know, I you know you do kind of I would say talk to yourself, but you kind of reason things out. Yeah, so I mean, that seems reasonable. Perhaps it's a more extreme version of that. Yeah, or you're like. I would say. Uh, yeah, in a in a serious life threatening situation, so you have to kind of, you know, it, ta- it takes on a, another intensity, I guess maybe. Yeah. But I ask myself if I'm going, like, am I going to continue going this far? Do should I stop here? Maybe it'd be a good idea to take a break at this shelter, stay here while it's raining, while yeah. it's piss pouring rain for two hours. You hang out, so you are kind of talking to yourself, reasoning things out. Right, right. And especially during awful shitty times. Like that, like the rain, like you were saying. You're just what you've done. You're just going. God, this fucking sucks. That's what you're doing in that situation. But multiply that by fifty times. Yeah, and you start, you know, really seeing some weird shit. I bet it makes sense that that would be that it could go that way. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. And I was thinking about all this stuff, and it just it got me thinking. You got all these these helpful guides that are there. They've helped all these people. You know what I mean? Guardian angel. Are there guides that are not so helpful that we just don't know about because you know people aren't around to? They just make you make you go go left, go left here. See what's so go left. It's gonna be it's it's gonna be fun. I promise you. And then next thing you know, you're falling down on the side of a mountain or whatever. <laughs> you know, which which it made then it made me start thinking about like Amelia Earhart. Oh, Flight nineteen, Frederick Valentich. And you got all these other things, and which gets me into, makes me start thinking then about the if there's a, stuff. If there's a positive reaffirming voice, it's quite possible there's the exact a nefarious yeah. other, yeah, that's, yeah. well, yeah, hard to say. I know, because we wouldn't know, because nobody, nobody lives to tell the tale. <laughs> right. So. They don't survive those. No. But who knows? She knows. That's just what I. That's where my brain went after I was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But he doesn't talk about this in his book, does he? No. That would be an interesting uh, question to ask, Mister Geiger. Should we ever be we able have to? Him on. I bet he would like to talk about it. I wonder. Maybe I'm sure he'd like to talk about this, but the evil ones. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. Further expand on that idea. Yeah. If he's if he's if he's you know heard some of those stories. Which, by the way, like, you know, in, in popular media, like movies and stuff, when I, I was bringing this up to somebody uh, recently, the uh, the castaway, Wilson, that's what that is. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So people didn't, if it didn't occur to you. It did not until this very moment. Uh, <laughs> that's what that is, you yeah. see? Yeah, you're And also right. in the movie, uh, do you remember the movie in, from the 80s with uh, Dabney Coleman, Cloak and Dagger? I never saw it. Never saw that never one? Never saw it. Came out in the early 80s? Yeah. Well... I own that movie, and I used to watch it a lot. So he's got an imaginary friend, which, by the way, is also another one of these things. Right. He, right. he talks about that in the book, children and their ability to have imaginary friends. Perhaps they're not. Maybe there's something to that. Maybe they're actually communicating with somebody. Who knows? I know. But uh, in so. the movie, that's what that is. The kid gets wrapped up into a spy world, and his imaginary friend is basically a third man uh, mm-hmm. You know, entity who helps him out, and that is uh, Dabney Coleman, Jack Flack. In case you were wondering, <laughs> Jack Black, Jack Flack. Okay, right. Flack. Check out that movie, by the way, Cloak and Dagger, nineteen eighty four. Have to check that out. Awesome movie. It's the year I was born. 
Yeah, see, I was already watching that shit. Yeah, you were already. I was in it, man. Yep. Yeah, yeah. But it's a good movie. So, like, he gets, like I said, he gets wrapped up into this little spy world, kids' spy world, right? Mm-hmm. Some some guy gives him a video game. I'll give you a quick synop, and uh, he gives him a video game, and in the video game, of course, it's got some top secret information that these guys want, and he takes it to his buddy who works at like an Atari store in the mall. Okay, badass, and they access some of this information in the game, and of course, his buddy gets killed. I think I've seen pieces of this. This is ringing a little bit of a bell. Yeah. But I have definitely have not seen the whole thing. But is that what's the one with the sorry to interrupt you? With, it's okay. With <laughs> with uh, Fred Savage. What's the video game movie that, The Wizard. The Wizard. Okay. Yeah, it has no there's no third man factor in the wizard. No, no, no maybe I'm just confusing those two. I've definitely seen The Wizard. Yeah, I mean that was probably over a decade later that that movie. No, oh, it, I know. it wasn't quite that far. But you know probably like six or seven years, maybe. All right. No, it was still the eighties. It was still the eighties. My favorite decade. I know, I know. But that is neither here nor there. Anyway, Jack Flack <laughs> yeah. is like his little you know, his little kid hero. He's like an action figure, but he talks to him in the movie and he shows up to help him out every once in a while. Like he does in Castaway, which was also based off Robinson Crusoe and which was came from Alexander Selkirk's actual marooning on that island for four and a half years. Are you familiar with that, by the way? Uh, just, you know, the way I'm familiar with a lot of things. Just I know of it, know a little, little bit about it. But Mile not... wide, inch deep? Yes, yes. Yeah, so it's it's an interesting story. That's Like I said, that's where Robinson Crusoe came from. But uh, I guess he had some sort of... I'd never seen that until this, though. I'd never seen it. And I was familiar, and I've read Robinson Crusoe. Mm-hmm. And I'm familiar with Alexander Selkirk's story, but I'd never seen that there was anything associated with the third man factor any yeah. sort of weird entities helping him out until this so that's kind of interesting too i didn't know that was part of this part of the story part of the yeah. story of of his uh, his adventure but they also said because this wasn't completely like an inhabit uninhabited island because there were like goats and things that he could actually eat yeah and he could get milk and things like that they said that uh there's this ongoing theory that he had sex with the goats have you heard this no, but I mean, I, I believe it. Why not? Because here's why you don't believe that. The man survived. <laughs> okay. And it's probably, if we're talking about any sort of possible health concern, well, not a good idea to have sex with an animal. And this is just a theory, by the way. They haven't actually said, oh, we have proof that he had sex with the goats. Yeah. He was eating the goats and farming and, uh, you know, doing things that he could to survive. Because I guess you have to worry about scurvy and things like that. Yeah. You're not getting your vitamin C. Right. But there must have been some sort of fruits or something on the island. Coconut. At that time, there would have been like Spanish sailors. He was, uh, was he Irish or something like that? So there would have been like the whole crossover. There would have been battles between the Spanish and whatnot. And I think the Spanish came to the island occasionally. He'd have to kind of like hide out and stuff like that. So. Yeah. But things would get left there. Rats, you know. Right, right. He, he talks about that in his... In his uh, memoir, sort of having the rats eating his legs and nibbling at his feet and stuff like that. Yeah. I'm getting way off track. I'm sorry about that. No, yeah, but, you know, (laughs) that's what what this is all about. Yeah, I mean, besides the actual topic, you know, we can throw in a little extra info, I guess, right? Yeah. Now, I don't know if this counts as a third man, but I guess it, it does. It does. My grandmother, I think I texted you this. She had a heart attack. 
long time ago. And she told me that now she was a deeply religious woman. She told me that God, the door, I'm sorry, the phone rang as she was having a heart attack. She was on the floor. She said that God lifted her to her feet and told her to answer the phone. And that's what saved her life. That is very much a... <laughs> so... that would I would definitely classify that as a third yeah, man yeah. incident. So, that's a little personal story. I, You know, the closest I've ever come to a third man. It's pretty close. But she said it was God himself. Wow. So, something, something to think about yet again. Right. right. I don't have any that I'm aware of. I don't know of anybody that's experienced that sort of situation. Yeah. That's pretty wild. I know. Yeah. So, I mean, that's that's all I got about the third man, I think. That's all I got, too. We can send people off now on their yeah. third man journey. Go do your own research. You'll have fun. You'll enjoy it. Yeah, it's fun stuff. We'll include the books in the show notes and things like that, so you can check them out. Definitely. Post some things on Instagram. Yep, yep, yep. And uh, you can go and uh, read up more yourself on the topic. Have a good old time. Yep. Well, close us on out here? Yeah, let's close. You close us out this time. Okay. What am I always closing out for? I don't have to close out. I open, I close. What I am think I you're the opener more. I close more. Yeah. It's I'll all close. Back you up here on this. All right. So we're just, just the usual rundown. You know, go to uh, send us an email if you want to get in touch with us. You can go to terribyvex.com, send us some messages directly, or email terribyvexpodcast at gmail.com. Yes, yes. Uh, I have an X account, and I do a lot of exhalations there. What do you think of that? Uh, I don't really do it that often. Maybe one, I think I have three. But Instagram's the soch to get in touch with the sun. For the most part, if, you know. Posting some fun stuff there. Yep. You're very good. I, very good. It's all about engagement and mm-hmm. trying to stay active there. For mm-hmm. whatever reason, I don't know. I like the format just for what we kind of do. So there's video option, and you can still post uh, regular, you know, yeah. information, descriptive things, photos, things like that. Yep. That's where the audiograms will go when we eventually do those. Yeah. We yeah, also have we'll a YouTube channel. There. YouTube. Just go Terabivex Podcast. You'll, you'll find it. Apple. Uh, Apple, uh, whatever. Let's go to iTunes. If it's, is it still called iTunes? Apple, Mute, wherever the hell you get your Apple podcasts. Rate, review, subscribe on wherever Apple. Wherever you get your podcasts, that's where we are. That's true. That is very true, except for Stitcher. Stitcher ain't around no more. Oh. So, but that's everybody. But yeah, just rate, review, subscribe. And as always, I mean, just tell a friend about it. That's how it spreads. Leave us, send us a message. We'd like to hear. Yeah, definitely send a message. And we'll always read those on the show. Even if it's hate. Especially if it's hate. Luckily, we haven't got one yet. Maybe this Burning Man. Well, maybe, maybe. I can... Well, these cult members will get pissed that I'm yeah. speaking so negatively about their precious Burning Man. Well, I hope so. The precious burn. If you want to come on and debate Josh about it... We'll have you on. We will definitely have you on. Explain why Burning Man's so fucking great. <laughs> All right, on that note, uh, we will see you next time. Yeah, see you. Bye.